Okay, hello, welcome to episode 205 of Sack King's Therapy. Um, in this episode, just gonna quickly go over just the week, uh, basically the third to last week of July. Not much has happened. Uh, Kings are still waiting on a trade. And uh, basically, kind of everyone, like by everyone I mean, every like all the NBA teams, uh, people who cover the NBA, just kind of waiting for something else to drop. Um, yeah, but I'll talk about that basically and how it all kind of relates to the Kings. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about the over-under that was released, um, the possible lineup possibilities if not, no trades or like, I guess, basically if no trades are to happen. I think even if the Kings make an addition at this point, it's going to be a very small thing because... Not much, not much is out there. And then I'll just talk about some national stuff. And also, uh, I'll go over the wrestling news today. Um, today is the 22nd of July, 2022. Vince McMahon announced that he is retiring. And yeah, we'll get into that. Um, as I, I don't know if you've noticed by now, uh, I've been the only one talking. Uh, because Fong is not here. Uh, I know sometimes I ramble on <laughs> for like the longest intros, but uh, yeah, he is not here today. Uh, he is on a business trip. Um, I will explain to him what that is um, on the next episode when he's back. Uh, but yes, he is on a business trip. Okay. All right. Uh, so what are the topics today? So it's, a, it's the dog days right now. There just isn't anything happening. Um, we had, you know, the draft, uh, free agency, um, the first day of free agency, uh, King signed Malik Monk and, uh, traded for Kevin Herter. That's basically their biggest move, uh, so far. And yeah, ever since then, small minor moves, they signed Casey Opala and, uh, Shima Okiki, or is that, is that how you say his name? God damn it. I don't have it in front of me. Fuck. Well, anyways, yeah, Chima. And that's basically been it. Otherwise, not much else has been going on. And so in, in the dog days of this period of the NBA period, really the only dead period of, of, the, NBA of the NBA season at this point, or the NBA offseason, um, everyone is kind of waiting on something to happen. And so far, nothing has happened. Uh, Mark Spears went on ESPN to just—I uh, didn't even watch the full interview. I just—I wa just watched the part where basically he said on ESPN that he thinks Keegan Murray could win the Rookie of the Year because because he's gonna hit the Kings are going to have the most wins out of that top four and probably top five because Jaden—I forgot if he said Jaden top five or top four—but basically out of all the lottery picks, you're talking Paolo Banquero. Uh, Chet Holmgren, uh, Jabari Smith, and then you have Jane Ivey in Detroit too. Like, the Kings are going to be that team. Like, that is they're basically the only team in that bunch that's actually going to be chasing wins. Um, you, maybe, maybe Orlando, like, tries to chase wins, but, like, they don't really have the requisite talent, I don't think. Uh, well, like, you know, they do have some, you know, sleep... They do have some secret weapons, if you will. They have Jonathan Isaac, who hasn't played in two years. Uh, they have Markel Fultz, who's going to play a full season. Um, they, I don't, I forgot the status of Mobamba. I think Mobamba is on that team, but they have they have talent, but they're all young for the most part, and young guys just don't win in this league. And then you have Chet, Chet Holmgren on the Thunder. They, they they're they're young. <laughs> they're not trying to win. They're go they're going for the Victor Wenyamama Wenbayama. Sweepstakes and whoever's in that top top of the. I'm hearing Scoot Henderson. I'm hearing guys like uh, the Thompson twins. Like those guys look amazing. So they're going for those guys. Rockets in the same in the same boat. Jabari, by the way, has looked really rough. Like he will be better with better talent around him, but like I don't think the talent around him knows how to pass the ball. So we'll see how that goes. And then you have, of course, uh, Jay Nivey. But, like, that team isn't exactly great either. They're very young. They're going to be really good in a few years. But as of this year, I don't know if they're going to be, like, really good enough to be able to, say, even contend for the player. They might sneak in there. But, like, you know, Mark Spears makes a good point. Like, he thinks Keegan, Keegan Murray, just off of Summer League, just 
looks great. Looks like he's com- ready to play day one. Will probably start day one. And the Kings are trying to win. And I even said this last year. I didn't. I honestly, I didn't think Davion had any chance to win rookie their year. But the only, the only like lick of chance he was going to have to win it was the Kings were a good team. Now the Kings were not a good team, so he was nowhere near that conversation. He didn't even make the All Rookie Second Team, which I, I honestly believe he was snubbed. But like, you know, that's just me. But the idea is that like the Kings are going to be the only team out of those five that's legitimately going to chase like wins. They're going to try to make the playoffs. They're going to try and be a good team, and also kind of have the, you know, dare I say, they have the talent to do it. Now, will they put it together? Like, I I don't know, because I was burned last year. I thought the last year's team, like, you know, if everything gone right, like, you know, they could, they could have been, you know, in the playoff race, like, instead they didn't even make the play. (laughs) So it's, you never know with this Kings team, like, I, you know, on paper, like you have, you have a lot of shooting talent, you have a good rotate, you have like a good top of the rotation, you know, you have a a good seven to eight really playable players and one or two guys that you. You know, and the rest of and the rest of the, like you know the rotation, you you know could be playable players. Like you, we were for like for example, not even shade him too much, but like we had to pay we had to play Chumezi Metsu a little too much. I love Mezzi. He's a great energy guy. He plays hard, and like he is he is cherishes every single minute that he's out there. But the reality is, he just wasn't good enough to really justify playing him as much as. Even though, even though I didn't, even though I, I thought like 20 minutes is fine to a certain degree, he's not even really a 20 minute per game player. And, you know, it's like you, you, you had, you know, have more talent, I think, throughout the roster to kind of push him down, for example. Like we'll, we'll see what Casey Opala is. Um, and then you have, so you have like Malik Monk, uh, Kevin Hurt. So, so, okay. So here, you know what? Let's do it this way. Uh, just so I don't keep getting off track, but you you have your starting you have a starting lineup, and we'll see if this starting line if this will be the starting lineup. This is the starting lineup in my head. You have De'Aaron Fox, um, Kevin Herter will will be my starter just to put some size out there. You have Harrison Barnes at the three, Keegan Murray at the four, and then Sabonis at the five. So that's five guys right there. You have off the bench. You have Terrence Davis. You have Davion Mitchell. You have Kevin. You, no, not Kevin Herter. Malik Monk. There we go. That's our big signing. And that is a good eight guys right there. That's a pretty that's a pretty good rotation. And then you have a uh, Rashawn Holmes coming off the bench. Like how you know how could I forget Rashawn Holmes? We'll see um, Alex Len Alex Len if he stays on this roster. And then you have possibly like Namias Keda and Keon Ellis, and of course uh, the aforementioned uh, Chimezing Metsu, Trey Lyles. And then you have a uh, Casey Opala and Chimel Kiki. What is it? Oh god! Oh god! We'll, che- we'll just say Chima. I, I shouldn't really pull up with his name. I'm th- something that feels a little off. Opala. Moneki. God damn it. Ch- Chima Okiki, I think, is someone on the th- on the magic. God damn it. Chima Moneki. Um, yeah. Chi- so then, so you have a pretty decent, like, you have at least eight rotation, like, NBA rotation players. And, like, arguably guys that can start on teams. And then you have like a pretty solid, like even end of the bench rotation. And you know, Mike Brown has Mike Brown's gonna have to juggle a little bit to find the best lineups. But my the point is, I think there are, are much more playable players. There is a lot more talent, but it will be up to Mike Brown to kind of get the right combination of players. And you know, I mentioned Keegan in that starting lineup. If he's starting, he's going to get he's probably gonna get big minutes. And again, if if everything breaks right. And the Kings get a lot of wins. He has a very good chance of winning Rookie of the Year, because you know a lot of times I feel like wins over wins and like you know of course personal statistics are like I think wins kind of triumphs over uh, personal statistics in a lot of situations. And then like we'll see what the other top four, top five like average. I think Keegan will average a pretty healthy thirteen points a game six rebounds and maybe like one assist like not great numbers but if you're if you're like a strong contributor on a good team like i think you have a good chance like paolo will probably maybe put up something closer to 20 points a game but like if he's if his team is only like winning 28 games like that's tough to just win the rookie of the year out of that 
but because like you look at last year, like the two the two the two top guys were on winning teams, and like I honestly thought like Evan Mobley should have won, but I think he missed a lot of games. But like you know those two guys were on winning teams, and I think the third was Kay Cunningham, who had a really slow start, and that matters. But like the the idea is like you know the Detroit Pistons were ass for the most part, and just that kind of drags down Kay Cunningham. So I think that you know Mark Spears is right, and you know uh, me being the optimistic Kings fan, I'm 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 like inclined to agree with him. Like, in we'll see like again how this Kings team Kings team turns out, and yeah, I mean like it, right now we just don't have. I think uh, who, who said it. Yeah, yeah, it was Brendan Brendan Nunez basically saying that you know Keegan showed out a, showed a lot in summer league, and he showed that he's probably an NBA ready player. And there's no basketball to prove you otherwise right now because we everything out of summer league, everything out of the California Classic is an NBA ready player that will only get better when he's surrounded by better talent. So let's see how this goes. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. If Keegan win Rookie of the Year, it will be because the Kings are good. And if the Kings are good, chances are they're going to make the playoffs, and they might break this sixteen-year sixteen-year drought. Like it's it's been long. Let, let's inject some optimism, and yeah, let's let's go let's go in for the ride. Um, also, for those for those of you that like say, I, I will temper expectations in that. Let's just say the Kings get off to a decent start. Let's just say they get off to a two and one start, a three and zero start. Don't forget that we did get off to I think a five and three start, and like you know, vibes were so good. The Kings looked like they were on their way, and then they went on that. I think I think that was the start of the one the quote unquote four easy games road trip where they had the San Antonio, they had OKC, uh, the Spur, the Spurs. No, no, I already said the Spurs. I said so San Antonio, OKC, um, Detroit, and Timberwolves. That like at, at at the time the Timberwolves weren't good. Like they they were actually struggling, and that was expected to be a four and road trip, and that and then like they end up going one and three, almost worse than going zero and four to a certain degree. But like just going one for three on that road trip was where everything fell apart. What I'm looking for is how this team like handles adversity. Now maybe we get out of the way early, although that's going to be a bumpy bumpy ride, and there's going to be hot takes flying, but. I want to see this team be able to handle adversity because like when, when you, when everything's going your way, when you're winning and the vibes are good, it's easy. Like you just feed off that energy and you, and you bring it to the next game. When you face adversity, you got to have those tough conversations. You got to go into that locker room, like, you know, pissed off. Like that's when things get tough. And that's when, you know, the pressure makes the best diamonds, I think is, is the, uh, is the saying and like that's when you'll see if this team is truly different. And last year, they they proved they proved otherwise. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fall for it. Like I think Jason Jones has has basically like warned us that wait till Christmas. Like Christmas is by is by the time you'll kind of figure out like what what kind of team that the Kings are gonna be. When you find out like all other a bunch of other teams what they're gonna be. And yeah, you're, we're just going to have to be patient and just not overreact right away. So, yes, I do think that Keegan, I do that in like a, a roundabout way. I think Keegan Murray will be a good, will be a rookie of the year candidate. And I'm hoping that the Kings, I'm hoping like that comes with the Kings being good as well. You know, I'm banging on them being good. And they've just disappointed us for so long. At a certain point, things have got to change. And there are, there are signs pointing that way. And let's hope, let's hope I'm, I'm right. And uh, let's send some good vibes going. Okay. Um, I, I mentioned him a little earlier. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Mike Brown now. Mike Brown is a defensive coach. And I'm really looking forward to that and just seeing what he what he's actually able to do. Now, I just, I just watched an interview with Anthony Slater uh, on ESPN 1320. And, you know, he talked about, like, the defensive schemes, like the way that um, Mike Brown teaches defense and how he was able to basically – how he was able to basically like you know craft like an incredible defensive scheme where you you have guys you know helping each other out different types of coverages and basically utilize that that uh that Ross the Warriors roster last year and to be able to actually even like basically having a top defense 
despite missing Draymond for like a good chunk of, I think he only played like 40 games like uh, last year, like missing a good, I think he like missing a, almost a good half of the season, like working with Looney and the Looney. And, you know, you have, uh, you have Andrew Wiggins and you have like Gary Payton and stuff, but like the fact that you, you didn't have Draymond for a good chunk of the regular season, you still maintained, I think a top four defense, if I remember right, that's impressive. And like, I want to see like if the, like things are going to probably point towards like Mike Brown being able to do something with this with the Kings and making them at least you know not twenty seventh or like thirtieth in defense. Um, you know, uh, Anthony Slater kind of mentioned like you know he he crafts like incredible schemes. He teaches defense really effectively, but he's also teaching Draymond Green. He's teaching Andre Iguodala. Like those. Those are your actual leaders on the floor to be able to like you know co- commandeer that defense and get everyone in the right places. The Kings don't have those guys, so like you know they he Anthony Slater used a very funny analogy like you're he's gonna go from teaching PhD students in Draymond and Andre and Steph Curry and those guys to basically going back to high school and like teaching starting almost from algebra because. Kings have been a shit defense for the better part of the, uh, these 16 years. They finished in the top 20 twice in, in the last 16 years. Like, you know, I, you know, I had a discussion with a, with a, another Kings fan and he, he was talking like, you know what? I just want offense, right? I just wanted to have a good offense and that will carry us to the, to the promised land, which is the playoffs. I'm not talking about a championship. Let's relax. But you, you I, I like just looking at basically the I mean, the offense of the Kings have been all over the place. They've been like top ten like a few times, and for and but like consistently, they're a bad defense. And in the regular season, you need to have a good defense to give yourself a chance over a long season because there are going to be nights, and the Kings had a lot of them last year, where they just could not hit shots from the outside. They don't hit shots from the outside. The the, the paint just compresses, and it just gets worse and worse. Like they just can't buy a bucket. And in that, in those kinds of cases, they need a good defense to fall back on. And that's where I hope Mike Brown is able to figure something out. Now, I had mentioned many times, like, you know, those, this was before the Chima and the KZ Apollo uh, signing, that somebody needed to play defense on this roster. Kevin Herter's, a, Kevin Herter's, for the most part, from what I've seen, a solid defender. Not exactly a lockdown guy, but, you know, smart and, you know, big. Like, um... Malik Monk, not a good defender for the most part, although not as bad as what his reputation is. But, like, those guys don't play defense. And, like, and then De'Aaron, like, has his issues. I think if in the right situation, in the right scheme, he can uh, succeed. Sabonis, good positional defender, but he's not really a rim protector at all. Like, the pieces that Mike Brown is working with is definitely a downgrade. But in, I think he can scheme us the Kings to a at least let's just say twenty third in defense instead, and then if if like you know if uh, Sabonis and Fox can run the offense effectively, like twenty third might all, might be all you need. You like, you can run a t- you can run a tenth like the rank the tenth ranked offense, and then a twenty third ranked defense that should get you at least like in the upper tier hopefully of the play in. We'll see how that plays out, but like. You know, I want to see what Mike Brown is able to do. Like, you know, again, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the Kings this season, although cautiously. But like, if things were to work out right, like the Kings are able to, you know, gel on defense and then just let the offense come their way. And they should be able to with, you know, two very dynamic offensive attackers and De'Aaron Fox and, uh, and Sabonis. And, you know, like, I, honestly, I think like, a lot of people have echoed this sentiment. It all kind of falls back on the stars. Like it falls back on De'Aaron Fox being, I think, better on defense. I think that's the most important part with him. And like, if he, if he's like better on defense, like you, you might not be end up being in so many close games. I mean, you have a bit of a cushion, and you can play a little bit more loosely on offense, and you don't have to like you know, quote-unquote, like, reserve all your energy to, like, you know, cloak, to basically ISO in crunch time. Like, you can take yourself out of that situation and, like, you know, you can just win in blowouts. Or, like, you know, if you run, if 
if you play be- better defense throughout the game, you just wouldn't be in those. Pos- yeah, I'm just repeating myself, but like you just you wouldn't be in positions where you're in position to lose a game because like it's a close game and you just don't have enough gas like in the fourth quarter to you know close out the game. Instead, like instead, you could have like closed it out earlier if you played a little better defense, and you're never in that position to begin with. That's the hope because, like, De'Aaron, I think is I'm still a believer in De'Aaron. I think he's actually a, a good. Cl- I think he can be a good closer. He's shown flashes of it before, and you know, like I think I think the offense will come to him if you let it kind of come to him. Let like Sabonis like make things make his life a lot easier on offense embrace like that pairing and then like putting more of his focus on defense that changes this team a lot and if i think like whatever scheme that mike brown plays with like whatever he kind of crafts for for this specific kings team it all starts with De'Aaron at the tip of the spear like unless you are like i'm an i'm also an advocate actually for starting um davion next to De'Aaron. now now I get it, like that's a really small backcourt, and like if you're starting Keegan Murray at the four, like that is a pretty small like front front court as well. But I think you can put like Davion on the best uh, perimeter attacker, and like just have him like pester him for like a good thirty minutes, and you know you can you can figure out what to do with De'Aaron, like hide him on a wing or like you know hire him on or put him on a put him on like a two guard because I feel like. Um, De'Aaron's a lot better at guarding two guards than he is at guarding point guards. So we'll, we'll see if that's an option. Uh, another option for um, a starting lineup, another thing that Mike Brown might be able to play with. Now, this is with the caveat that this roster stays the way it is, and particularly meaning that Rashawn Holmes stays on this roster. Now, I don't know about Alex Len. I think they can do this with, with or without Alex Len. But um, Sean Cunningham floated out the idea that um, there is a possibility that Rashawn Holmes is going to be on this team, and there is a possibility that he could start next to a uh, Sabonis. Like he can either be the four or the five. I think they're pretty interchangeable. Like I think Sabonis ends up guarding the five, and then uh, Rashawn is actually you know agile enough to guard the fours. Now uh, the feedback that I saw on Reddit, like uh, not a lot of people are fans of this move, just because you know the spacing is going to be pretty brutal, especially if. You know, I, especially if Sabonis can't shoot through, if either one of them can't shoot threes. Now, I've seen the videos of Sabonis shoot, like, working with Lethal Shooter. Like, his free throw looks a lot better, but, like, I'm not, I don't, I still don't think he's going to be a great three-point shooter with just how, like, he pauses um, before he shoots. And, you know, like, his body doesn't seem, like, in sync with, with, like, the upper part of his body. Or the lower part of his body isn't in sync in terms of, like, how he releases it. We'll, We'll see when the season starts, but it, especially in the case where Sabonis like can't shoot threes, like that's going to be really tough on the, on the spacing. However, my argument with that is that I thought last year, Alvin Gentry prioritized offense way too much. Like there were a lot of moments where I wanted them to actually go double big, like have Damian Jones play next to Rashawn Holmes and like, you know, live with what, Like live with what you, what you have, you know. Um, like you you can you can live with him. Um, just you can live with the spacing is what I mean, and you know, and just like hopefully you can make up for it on the offensive end. And I think like if you can have a good defense, like that could come a long way in just making the game easier. Now, of course, there are going to be spacing issues, and you're going to struggle to score a little bit. But again, I think. I think Alvin Gentry leaned way too much the other way with offense, like particularly playing Buddy Heel way too much and like not playing Mo Harkless for a lot of the season, like for a lot of games. Like I thought Mo Harkless was really good throughout the season for the most part. And like, I, I wish he played more because he definitely had an effect on the, on the defensive end, but what, um, Alvin Gentry just wouldn't play him, which was always really confusing to me. So I think like you can you can do a lineup with Rashawn and you can I think you can start these guys next to each other even and just prioritize defense and let the offense kind of come kind of like see if this lineup works at least like Alvin was definitely not a fan he only played like five minutes or something or maybe even less than that and just didn't go with it go didn't go with it throughout the season but like 
Sabonis is not a good rim protector. He is a good five-man defender. He's a good positional defender one-on-one in the post. Like, he is a brute. And, like, that was one of the issues that I thought Rashad really struggled with was, like, those big bruising centers. But, like, Rashad is a very mobile, very agile. Like, basically, he's kind of a small ball five, essentially. Um, And he can move with, like, basically all the – pretty much every single four in the league for the most part. And I think he's probably better suited to guard fours anyways. And, like, you can – and, you know, I think he's a decent enough room protector. He's not a great room protector by any means, but like he, you need a, you need some sort of rim protection behind Sabonis because he can't really do it on his own. And I think Rashawn can fill up that hole. And again, I know the spacing is going to be an issue on offense, but if you can get a few extra stops that can make up for that. And I think that honestly makes you a better team. I think, um, you know, on the long term, at least in the, at least in the regular season. So I'm actually I'm actually okay with that starting lineup. So, you know, we'll see how this shakes out. Rashawn could be traded. Harrison Barnes could be traded. Um, you know, the, um, Alex Len, um, Trey Lyles, all those guys can be traded for the most part. I think the other guys are probably safer. But we'll see how this uh, roster shakes out. And it, there's a lot of possibilities that Mike Brown can play with, and it's good. A lot of it is going to be on Mike Brown to be able to kind of juggle these lineups and. Kind of make some, try to make, you know, I guess, I get, try to just make the best lemonade he can out of, you know, these less than ideal lemons. Okay, let's uh, move on to just um, something else about the Kings real quick. Um, so the over-unders were released uh, for the, well, the entire NBA. Um I don't have, of course, the full list in front of me because I never do. <laughs> I'm never prepared. I specifically wrote down the Kings' uh, over-unders. So uh, Sporting News had them uh, 31.5 wins this season, and then Action Network had them 32.5. So let's just say their over-under is 32 wins. Now, I'm a believer in the Kings. I think they I think they have a very good chance to make the playoffs, and all things go right they very much could and like that could be like through the play-in and then they win a game and, and you know they get into the playoffs who knows but i think the over under of 32 is pretty low and i would definitely take the over on that now i fall into the if you guys didn't watch uh the king's beat brandon nunez was in the same boat in that he said it was 30 he was going to take the over on 32 wins but when sean cunningham pushed him on it do you think they're going to win 36 wins? Do you think they're going to have 39 wins? And w- I mean, would you take the under? And he and Brendan Nunez took the under. So somewhere it's going to be in between their win total, I think. I would actually I would actually bet the over on the 39. Although if I actually had to bet money, that's a tough one. I might have to say the under. Although I, I think I think I can I can definitely be talked into taking the over. You know what? I'll, I'll actually take the over on that. I think they're going to win more than thirty nine games. Um, like, I'm an I'm a, I'm generally an optimistic guy, but like logic dictates they're probably going to win thirty two games or win more than thirty two games. However, I'm not confident in saying like they're going to surpass that like majorly. Like, may, like w- are they going to get to thirty nine? Very good chance they don't. I'll just say that. So uh, that's kind of my thoughts on the over under. I think thirty two. I think thirty two is pretty low. They definitely take the over. I think you. I mean, I was actually very close to putting a bet on the Kings to make the playoffs last year, um, until like I like I'm, I know there's ways around it. I'll have to I'll have to do at least a modicum of research. I never bothered to, but they didn't allow me to put down a bet, so <laughs> didn't bother to look into that. But I, I was close to putting money. Like I think it was going to put like a hundred dollars in it and you know like it's and if they don't make the playoffs i lose a hundred dollars no big deal but if i do like you know it's gonna get some money back so that was gonna be really cool had they make the playoffs now of course they didn't make the playoffs so i was gonna lose my money but instead i didn't even put down a bet so i'm good i don't make any money (laughs) so anyways yes uh 32 definitely take the over on that okay uh, that's all I have for the Kings. Um, just quickly recap some, um, I guess, national NBA news. Um, one thing I've noticed just listening to some podcasts this week, not a lo- lot of love for the Lonnie Walker signing. And I was really surprised. Like, James Hamm is not really a fan of Lonnie Walker. 
Now, Lonnie Walker was a name that came up that, like, when I when I've like heard that he wasn't going to be re-signed by the Spurs. Now, of course, that could be a bit of a red flag on its own, just because the Spurs, like, they're a great development. Um, they're a great team. They're a great organization, and the fact that they did not want to re-sign him is a bit of a red flag. Maybe there's something going on with this, like personality, some personality stuff going on behind the scenes. And then, like, you know, if you actually go and look at his averages, he's a career 34% three-point shooter, a career 41% um, from the field. Like, it's not great. Last year, he had a really bad year, or really inefficient year, 40% from the field, 31% from three. And then, yeah, for 12 points a game. Um, Just not great stats overall. And he's definitely a guy that's probably a lot more of a project than I thought he was. Like, this is the... Uh, this is just kind of like the, I guess, the flaw of being a Kings fan. You see a lot of players that just whoop the Kings' ass. And, like, Lonnie Walker whooped our ass last year and, like, destroyed us. Well, not destroyed us, but he done, he had some good games against us. And then, you know, it kind of, you know, colors my um, my view of, you know, of certain players. Like, you, you would have thought, like, maybe like Dylan Brooks was, like, one of the best players in the league. Like, that dude takes some awful shots. But against the Kings... They're open shots, and he just keeps making them. But, like, in in a game against the Warriors, he ain't making those. It's just one of those things. But not a lot of love. I always thought he was a good energy guy, at least. Like, he's a, he's a you know, a decent defender, like, as far as I know. He's not, like, great by any means, but, like, he has a – he's a he, – he's a solid defender. And, you know, the Kings, I thought, could have used them. But, you know, for what he signed for, what do you sign for? Is it on basketball reference? Let me check. You know, he just, just signed. So he signed a, yeah, basically, I think a two-year, 12-ish million dollar contract with a player option for next year, if I remember right. Like, they basically, the Lakers basically had to use their mid-level exception on him. And, you know, he got less than Malik Monk for sure. But, like, at the same time, like, there is an argument, like, you, you might as well have just, like, Malik is probably a better signing than him. And we'll we'll see how this turns out. But, like, I, I like Lonnie Walker for the most part. Um, but not a lot of love for him throughout the league. Like, uh, Nate Duncan doesn't like him all that much. John Hollinger doesn't like him all that much. It, I was just surprised that just not a lot of love for him. Um, the, another one just relating to the Lakers. Uh, Lakers are trying to get uh, Buddy healed by tr- trading Russ uh, in some way. And today there, it was reported that uh, d- talks are dead between a deal uh, between uh, a deal between the two, where basically they would trade Russ and a first round and one of their first round picks to the Indiana Indiana Pacers. Jesus Christ, can't starting to starting to lose my mind. Uh, yeah, a first round pick and Russ over to the Indiana Pacers for but Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, and uh, yeah, they basically rejected that deal, and it's just. It's just really funny because you could have just had Buddy to start, and like you could have just given us Kuzma, you could have just given us, um, given us Montres Harrell, and I'd be okay with that. And like you could have kept KCP. Like you know, it's not the colossal um, contract that you know you traded to Russ for. And yo, by the way, I didn't, I forgot about this. They gave up like the twenty second pick that I don't even remember who it turned into. To be honest, who who gives a shit? But, like, it's just one of those things where, damn, the Lakers fucked up. Like, you just could, you, you could have just had Buddy Heald. And for whatever reason, they keep trying to trade for Buddy Heald, which, by the way, doesn't solve, doesn't solve all their issues. Like, their issue last year, sure, like, spacing was an issue. Um, and, like, getting rid of Russ will help with that. But Buddy is a terrible defender. And their big issue last year was ain't nobody there to play defense. Like, you trade him. You you didn't keep you didn't keep KCP for and like again had you just traded for Buddy Heal you could have kept KCP or although for whatever reason I think they really wanted him gone which never made sense to me but you could have maybe had some money to resign Caruso maybe like apparently and just the the Lakers just don't like being in the tax despite you know having a lots of the money and granted like I'm I'm not a I'm not a billionaire so like what do I know maybe like. Maybe like it, it's a it's a lot easier for me to say they can just spend the money. I, I get it, but at the same time, like you could have kept Alex Caruso, um, you could you you could have had at least like two defenders next to Buddy to kind of like hide him a little bit, 
But instead, you end up with Russ, who notorious doesn't play defense, goes for steals, and just and then of course doesn't shoot. And you know the the issues are documented. And the fact that they're tr- still trying to get Buddy, and like they they're trying to trade Russ for him now is absolutely hilarious because you could have just had him in the first place. And you wouldn't have pissed off the Kings, and you would have saved us from um, saved the Kings from, you know, a, a bit of misery. I, I'm not gonna pin all the all the issues on Buddy. I did I did enjoy Buddy sometimes, but like you know, could have you could have we could have just avoided a lot of headaches. And now the Lakers get what they deserve. They're stuck with Russ, who apparently has like you know split with his agent, doesn't want to come back, doesn't want to come back to the Lakers, and. You know, no one wants him because, well, primarily because of the big contract. Like, let's not get it twisted. He is a, still a good player, but definitely a stubborn player who refuses to accept that he has regressed and needs to adapt his game. Kevin O'Connor, like, maddeningly is just trying to, you know, push the message like, Russ, you got to change. You got to see it. But he's refusing to see it. And I for, I actually forgot I, someone brought it up, but he is very close to going through going through the Carmelo stuff. And the reason why Carmelo was able to come back was you know he accepted a smaller role, and he could shoot. Russ does no such thing. He he's never been a good shooter. He probably never will be a good shooter at this point. Like he legitimately might be out of the league next year once his contract expires. Like he he might he probably gets picked up somewhere. But like it might be the Isaiah Thomas thing, honestly. Like the Carmelo, the Isaiah Thomas thing, where you're just not a good player anymore. You're asking for a big role, and then you just don't get it, and you keep fighting for it. And before you even realize it, just no one's gonna be willing to deal with you. Like it's gonna be a very sad end to his to his career if it does go down that way. But overall, like hopefully he does like you know figure it out at some point but at the same time i don't think this truly affects his legacy like you know look look at Allen iverson the way he kind of left the the way he the way he kind of you know ended his career like just stubbornly believing he was still a star and guess what we still revere him nowadays for changing the culture now i don't i'm not sure about like you know russ's cultural impact but he will be remembered well still and it, it does suck that you know that, that this is just the way it is um you know, he doesn't fit on the Lakers. He doesn't fit next to LeBron James. And, you know, there's a lot of sour feelings, it seems. It's unfortunate to see, I guess, a, I don't know how close they were off the court, but it was like, you know, the, like, you know, friends go, like, you know, not being able to be friends almost because of, like, you know, professional differences. And, you know, I, I hope this kind of resolves itself. Um, however, I'm not going to lie and say, like, this doesn't give me some sort of satisfaction to see, this the the botched trade between the Lakers and the Kings completely blow up and you know the the Lakers face and a bit and you know still a little bit on the Kings's face but at the same time like the Lakers are bearing the brunt of it and it is time to just this is why you don't listen to don't listen to player to players too much on their input for who they should trade for because like LeBron's is always like the term I use is just horny for like another ball handler to be able to like do the ball handling stuff and that's and it makes and like I get why because it is tough to do what he does for a, an entire regular season. I get the idea of it. My my the the issue I had with the trade was like you were never gonna put be able to play them together in the closing lineup because like especially like you know they didn't end up making the playoffs. But once they got to the playoffs, guys just aren't gonna guard Russ. They're just gonna put a center on him and just or just put a big a long wing on him and just. Have him sag off him, not guard him. And Russ just has never been able to solve that, unfortunately. Although there was a year in Houston where he was really effective in that role, but those days are gone now. And you know, it was always a terrible fit. And LeBron should have LeBron should have known better. Like, I I get why analytics people say like, oh, you just surrounded with shooters. I get it's exhausting to have to be the primary playmaker all the time. But, like, you, you had to come up with a better option than that. And, you know, he's got the right idea of trying to go for Kyrie. But, like, Brooklyn is playing Brooklyn is playing hardball with them. And I don't know if they can get Kyrie. And, honestly, even if they got Kyrie, I don't know this. I don't know if they're a championship contender. Like, the offense works fine. Like, that might be able to carry you, like, maybe, maybe to the second round even. But, like, you need to play defense. Somebody got to play defense, you know, at some point. And I just, I just think like they fuck, they've done fucked up. (laughs) 
and now they just can't dig their dig themselves out of it i don't even know if i said it at the time but like my what like on the air but i definitely i definitely said it to fong um probably off air or something but like they're good they were gonna try and get rid of Russ by the trade deadline, but they were going to find out they weren't because we saw a version of this in Cleveland. Um, LeBron's last year in Cleveland, like where they had Dwayne Wade, they had Derrick Rose. Uh, was Isaiah Thomas on that team too? It was, it, it was basically a bunch of guys that, you know, needed the ball and didn't fit around um, LeBron and it blew up in their face. But the, the difference there is that they were all on small contracts. I think a lot of them were a minimum contract. So they were easy to trade, but, Russ has a $47 million contract and or like a $45 million at the at the time. Like you, you were not going to be able to move that. And they weren't. And now they can't. Now they still can't. Basically, they're going to have to include two draft picks to get rid of them. And yeah, um, it's going to be an ugly situation. I do like kind of feel bad for Lakers fans, but not really. But yeah, it's going to be rough. So have fun, guys. <laughs> Okay, uh, quickly shout out Kyle Guy. He signed in Spain. Um, yeah, so he will be going overseas. Um, he he had a good he I think he had a very good season with the Heat, if I, if I remember right, reading about it. And like it's unfortunate he just he's just small. Like the issue with him is just small, but like he works hard on his game. He you know he 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 fit into the system and like the Heat as far as I know really liked him, but they just didn't have a roster spot for him. Like. You know, I, I hope he continues his uh, NBA career um, overseas or just keep playing basketball and, like, keep on the grind. Like, maybe one of these days, like, an NBA team will will sign you again and, like, you maybe, like, go on, go off on a playoff run. Like, who knows? Like, I, I, I love Kyle Guy. The Kings kind of did him a little dirty towards the end. Um, and, you know, I just I just wish the best for him. You know, I, I really liked Kyle Guy when he was here. I did wish he would play more, but, like, when he did play – in certain stretches, you kind of see why he doesn't play. And like with, with kind of like the Kings, you don't have the infrastructure to really like, you know, be able to support a guy like him in terms of just having great players like a Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo to kind of cover for you. So like it was going to be a rough situation in Sacramento anyways, but I hope he finds success in Spain. So, you know, shout out to Kyle Guy. Okay. All right. Last part. Um, Quick, just I'm not gonna t talk too in depth about it because I personally don't know all the details. Haven't really read anything on it. Have only really consumed this through Twitter. But shifting over to wrestling news, uh, Vince McMahon has now "quote unquote" retired, and I'm just so like when I first saw retired, I was like, okay, yeah, right, retire, whatever. And then it said like I think he was stepping down as CEO and he was gonna um, transfer. Or basically, Nick Khan and Stephanie McMahon were going to become co-CEOs. And uh, a, buddy, a buddy of mine sent, sent us a screenshot of like an ESPN article saying that he was going to step down from his CEO duties. When I first read that, I was like, okay, that's bullshit. That's complete garbage. That doesn't mean jack shit. Because Vince really, as far as I've heard like from um, from, Fight, from Fightful, for those of you that don't follow them, uh, Fightful, Sean Ross Sapp. Um, do follow them on Twitter, do follow them on YouTube, or subscribe to them on YouTube. They've kind of broken down that Vince hasn't really been the CEO for a while. Like, he's kind of delegated that to um, Nick Khan and Stephanie. Well, Stephanie, not really, but, like, he's delegated it to, like, Nick Khan for the most part. And I don't blame him. I, like, one of my, like, biggest fears, I guess, like, it's going on conference calls. Like, who, who the fuck wants to do that shit? Like, it's garbage. I, I hate that kind of stuff, but like, I, I get it. It's business, 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 but like, that's the kind of bit part of business. And I'm just like, okay, I do that. Would, that would be something I would never be able to really do. But like he, he's basically only really been the head of creative for a while. And like in that article, at least like the screenshot he gave me, it doesn't mention anything about creative. So like my assumption was like, Oh, he's just going to stay on creative, like essentially be the, sh like, not the shadow owner, but definitely like running things from behind the scenes anyways. Like he was still going to run the show. He was still going to run creative. Now things are a bit more unclear whether he will be part of creative. Apparently he's going to retire from everything. So, you know, it, I'll, we'll have, to, we'll have to see like as more news comes out. The news just came out today. So maybe there'll be more news to, uh, tomorrow or like later in the week or maybe even next week. But as it stands right now, like, my assumption, like the again, my, my first instinct is that he is stepping down, stepping down from CEO. Okay, 
Um, from what I've heard, he has like, you know, he still like owns the, I think it's called the class B stocks. This is from Jimmy Van. Like he just doesn't, which basically means he has all the voting power um, in, for like on the board of directors. And like, basically he still has control over the company. Like he's stepping down as CEO, but it doesn't mean anything if he's not going to relinquish his shares. If he's not going to step, if he's not going to like stop from running the shows, like what, what does this really mean? It's just a fancy title. It's a fancy headline to kind of throw on, throw on guys and, you know, just essentially throw them off the scent, throw the media off the scent, because right now he's embroiled in, you know, a bunch of sexual harassment, sexual, possibly sexual assault um, charges, um, having an affair and stuff, basically knee deep into lawsuits. And this could be just a bit of a red herring, like, oh, I'm just going to step down as a CEO. I I don't run the company anymore. Like, you know, this company will be run by someone more reputable, someone more, I guess, respectable, winky face. Like, while he still runs creative. And ultimately, like, is it an end of an era? Possibly. I don't think so. I think it's more about, like, yeah, I think it's just more about just, it's more it's more of a headline than really anything else. We'll have to see as more details come out. Um, but the, my instinct is that this he's still in creative he's still gonna write the shows he's still gonna run the shows until he's fucking like in the ground and he might take wwe down with him if that's the case like he i think he's at that kind of level of insanity because he is not a normal man i don't think i'm breaking any news um i don't think that's a news flash by any means like the man is 77 years old is still somehow like you know doing 1000 pound like lifts you know that's not what a normal person does. He is, he is pure insanity. And I thought, I think he's lost his mind a lot. Like, I think he lost his mind a long time ago, but I just don't think like he, I, just, I don't think retirement's on the horizon for him. Honestly, I think this is just a little bit of a PR stunt. And I think he will still run creative behind the scenes, despite not being CEO. And which again, is just kind of a title, just kind of whatever. Um, we'll see as things turn out, but I don't think this changes anything. Uh, things will just things will probably change for a little bit, but I think they will go back to normal once things kind of blow over. My prediction, although like the more I'm hearing, like maybe there is a change. Like Triple H apparently just came back like in a some sort of some sort of high level position, and that's kind of and that is like you know implied to be linked to the Vince news, and maybe like. Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, and Nick Khan, they'll run things their way. Like, apparently Kevin Dunn is gonna, likely going to be on the way out if Vince is really, like, leaving. And, like, this is really... Now, if Vince is legitimately stepping down, there will be some changes. But at the same time, in the same way that, you know, I mentioned, like, you know, a lot of the... There were a lot of issues linked to Buddy Heel last year. Like, the Kings of Struggles, like, a lot of people blame Buddy for it, but... The, the issues run much deeper than Buddy. And I, I bring that, I bring up that now. I bring up Buddy because, and the Kings, because there is a much larger issue within the Kings that's almost not any individual's uh, fault. You can, you can try and pin it on a single person. Like WWE's issues, a lot of it can be pinned on Vince in terms of like the lack of creativity, the schizophrenic, like, you know, schizophrenic way they film the show, the schizophrenic, the absolutely awful storylines, the incoherent, the inability to stick to anything. Like, it's it's awful television. And a lot of it is can be attributed to Vince. But I think that, I think even if you change it to, like, Triple H, you change it to Stephanie McMahon, like, those guys still worked under him, under Vince for a while. And, like, part of that is going to be ingrained into the DNA of WWE. Now, things will probably change and probably for the better, but, like, it's not going to be revolutionary, I don't think. Now, of course, like, you can look back to, like, Triple H's incredible vision of, like, the original NXT. Well, not the, ori not the original NXT, but, you know, the black and gold, the takeovers. Those were fucking amazing. Those were, those were honestly, th those were the best things about wrestling for a long time. And maybe there's a vision of that, version of that he can bring to the main roster. And maybe there's some revamping there. But he, like, Triple H is not going to be the savior of this, of, you know... He's not going to be the all, almighty savior that's going to save us from all this garbage that we've essentially, if you're still watching that you've grown accustomed to for the most part. And it, 
you know, it, it'll be more gradual probably, but I think it's still going to be the same kind of product with a little bit of better, possibly better storytelling, better TV, which, you know, could, could be a good, uh, you know, and substantial change, but I think it's not going to be the almighty shift that the people that every, a lot of people like are talking about. Yeah, those are my thoughts. I don't think that much changes. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's shocking, but I don't think it's really anything. Um, that, that's just the way I see it. Uh, you know, I'm more I'm I'm open to change my mind. But as it stands right now, that was my first instinct. And with all the information that's come out has not really changed my in, my instinctual thoughts. So like. You know, we'll see how things go, but you know, what a what a what a time, I guess. Basically, this is pro- arguably one of the biggest like headlines since you know, um, since Vince bought WCW. <laughs> Man, and, and you know, I guess we'll go on this positive note. Like, you got to give respect to a certain degree to Vince McMahon for just being that much of a workaholic. That much of just and you know he's call call him insane if you want but you you can't you can't like you know question his work ethic the man is insane the man worked his way to the top and you know of course there's dirty dealings not the greatest person of course with all these lawsuits but there is there's something to admire about a guy that managed to monopolize an entire industry and build it in his vision and basically had to force everyone to get into line behind him. And he had, and he set the ind- industry standards and everything. There is something to that, and you know, like respect to him. Am I gonna miss him? Not really. <laughs> Do I think anything's gonna change? Not really. Um, but you know, it, it was a great headline, and then, you know, I thought I thought it was appropriate to talk about it. Okay, that is all I have on my docket. Um, Fong should be back on the next episode. Uh, again, we're still planning on that Naruto episode. Hopefully, it comes out this weekend. Fingers crossed, because so thing life gets in the way, and you know, and for one reason or another, we just can't release a episode. But that will probably be the next episode coming out. If not, we'll be probably I'll be probably asking Fong some questions about the the uh, the kind of the off season moves and also like the roster construction and what he thinks like Mike Brown uh, brings to the table. But as it stands right now, um, thank you guys for listening to me ramble on for almost an hour at this point. Um, Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And uh, I'll catch you guys back on the next one. And hopefully with Fong as well.